Ready to roll? Let's run it. Start that intro. Hello and welcome back to the Net Gains Podcast. We're your hosts, Roger Parent and Frank Field. I'm an ex-CEO, former pro athlete, and father of three wonderful children. Uh, and I compete on the AVP tour while working for one of Roger's companies. Frank and I are sick and tired of mental toughness gurus telling people to push harder or that they're lazy. The truth is the mind is a muscle just like any other muscle, and you need to train it. That's what we're trying to do. Give you simple, digestible tips on how highly successful people train their minds. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe, comment, email, tell your friends, uh, because we're teaching people how to do some really cool things. So join the movement and let's make it happen. Uh, or don't, because we love adversity. We love <laughs> adversity. I needed that one today. I needed a nice little <laughs> guttural. We love adversity. Just blow their eardrums out today. <laughs> no whispers. Frank, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about ego. Ego. And our egos get bigger by the day, the, the more popular we become as podcasters. So this is a good episode for, for us right now. Um, but before we go into that, I actually wanted to talk to you about something that happened in my life. Um, and we haven't even talked about this. This is, this is just um, kind of brand new off the press. I just wanted to genuinely pick your brain about this subject and see what you thought about it. So um, I played in a tournament last Saturday. It was, my, it was my first time competing in a tournament in about three months since like November. Um, and it was interesting okay. to, get, to get back on the court and compete again. And, um, you know, like when you, you, pl you can play games and practice and you can do like competitive drills, but there's something different about being in a tournament with pride on the line and, and you know, stakes on the line. Um, and it was interesting learning how to compete again, you know, because even three months is not that long. You know, I've been competing for years, but it was kind of fun to experience actual competition again. But kind of the wake up call for me in this tournament was it was 8 a.m. It was our first match of the day. And the team that we played against just happened to be a little bit chirpy. And there was a lot of smack talk going on back and forth. And it kind of like started out as just a little bit of like chippiness in terms of calls with the referees or calls with each other and like arguing. And it kind of got a little more, it, it never got to a point where like we were going to fight each other or it never even got that intense. But I remember in the moment actually feeling kind of like offended and put off by some of this smack talk and like argument that was going on. And uh, it took me until my second match to have the epiphany that it, it's like, oh, it's just smack talk. We're competing. You know, like that's, that's a part of the game. But I remember the specific feeling of being in the moment in that first match and actually being offended by it. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess... It Smack talk can get to a point to where it's like actually like you're crossing lines, right? But for the most part, it's part of competition. I mean, I remember oh, training totally. with you and just like going crazy <laughs> on a smack talk against you when we uh, would play against each other. But I think it's, you know, I, I think part of that is actually relates to ego, 
right? Like, why did it offend you? Do you know why? It, it's not like it was even <clears throat> offensive stuff. It was it was more like I was almost uh, offended that they they were like treating the game this way, you know. But it's it's that's such a stupid thing to think, you know. It's just like it's just a part of the game, and and I was kind of thinking about what smack talk is after this tournament too, and like really the whole purpose of it is to to distract somebody, right? If 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 you're a fan on the sidelines and you're talking to to players on the court. You're trying to distract them so that your team can win, and it's really the same thing. If it's if we're we're on the other side of the net against each other, I'm really just trying to distract you and throw your game off. And by me being in this match and being offended by it or thinking about whatever whatever this person was saying, it distracted me. Right? Um, it was just it was just interesting for me to kind of be in a competitive setting again. And uh, you know, like I, I love smack talk, and it doesn't usually affect me. And I just you know play my game and, and do my thing. And it was just interesting to kind of like, as the tournament went on, you know, learn how to deal with it again. And we actually played this team later in the tournament and beat them. And the second time playing them was much more calm and focused. And, um, you know, I just kind of did my own thing. But uh, I don't know. It was just it was just kind of an interesting way of thinking about kind of what smack talk is that I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah, there's there's two points there. The first is anything like smack talk inherently as you mentioned, is trying to get you off of your focus. And any moment not spent focused on the next play, what can we do mm -hmm. this next play to, mm -hmm. to increase our chances of success, is going to, you know, it's just an area of opportunity for you to improve next game. But um, I think the bigger thing is I, I started to appreciate smack talk later on in my career oddly normally i feel like young kids smack talk and then when you get old it's like you're just more mature or whatever but i actually feel like i look at it a little bit differently where i'm like you and i both want the game to grow we both love volleyball and smack talk actually makes it entertaining and so i actually look at it and say if they're smack talking me like it's good for the game i don't care <laughs> you know it's like almost like grateful that they care enough to smack talk me and are adding entertainment value to the game that I'm playing in. Mm -hmm. Making more people want to watch is just good for the sport. And so I, I like, I think you just have to like learn to love it. <laughs> like I just love it. It just, I love when people smack talk me. Yeah. Me too. Know? Me too. There's a line. <laughs> like I think, I think you nailed it with your first response, which is really what you want to do is maintain your own focus and you treat every point as its own point. And you are, you know, just after one point ends, you take that 10 seconds, in, at least in volleyball, you take that 10 seconds between the next point and you refocus. Um, I'm sure that that process is different in different sports. Pickleball is probably the same. Um, but in the end, all it is is just someone trying to distract you for one point and then get you off your game. Even if you're just 5% worse for one point, they won that, that point with smack talk, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, every sport, I feel like, has gotten a little bit softer from where it used to be, right? Like, remember, like, uh, I don't know, um, Karch Karai tearing down the volleyball net back in the day or whatever. Force missed no gloves. And that's it. And so Smith and Stoklos and Karai is so unhappy, he pulls down the net and the referee at the same time, and he is livid. He is out of his mind with anger. But, like... You know, even pickleball now is like, dude, it's like if you talk across the net, it's like 
you get like bashed by the community, but like, you know, like, like a, there's like a pro player that like mm -hmm. talks a little bit of smack and just has like a horrible reputation and probably a perfectly fine person, but like talked a little bit of smack and it's very, very etiquette driven because there's a lot of tennis players that are very like, I don't know, like very quiet when you play, you can't be too loud. And there's a lot of etiquette stuff that I just generally think is weird coming from volleyball <laughs> over to pickleball. Yeah. Well, are there, are there stare downs? Can you like stare somebody down in pickleball or is that even an etiquette thing too? Because in tennis, they, there's a lot of stare downs. <clears throat> you can. It's not illegal to stare down. It is illegal to like make too much noise um, when you're playing. But uh, it's not illegal to stare down. But when people do it, it's just like it's frowned upon. It's like culturally frowned mm -hmm. upon in the sport. A, a, one quick last thing to circle back on. Um, from my experience this last Saturday. And I'm curious what you think about this piece. Um, we, were, we, were, we were in the third set of this first match that I, that I had alluded to. And um, one of the players had scored against me and, and basically said, like, he made kind of like a, not a super clean play, but it worked for a score. And he's like, oh, I just got to play like Frank, right, in that situation. And so we're, we're coming back to receive the ball. And I, I heard it and I knew. And I'm like, if they give me this ball, I'm going to hit it as hard as I can and just say, oh, I just got to play like X guy who had said it, right? And so lo and behold, I, I receive the ball, I hammer it angle, and then I say what I had in mind. And so in, in that play, it worked. But I, I think thinking back on that, it was probably not the best thing to do to be thinking about your next piece of smack talk instead of focusing on the point. And I don't know if there's, like, you know, there's really good smack talkers out there, and I wonder if they are kind of thinking about their next line <laughs> mid-game. Uh, but there, there has to be, I guess, a balance of doing that plus focusing on, on you as well. I think the bigger issue there is that you predetermined what you were going to do with the ball before you did it. Not I know, it could have right? backfired. But if you do it well enough, I mean, it can work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just you predetermined that you were going to hit the heck out of the ball. Like, if, if I feel like an opposing team is angry at the ref, for example, and this is always like a really funny thing but it's like okay uh the opposing team's super upset they didn't get a call their way i know they're going to swing at this next ball so you'll run a play to eliminate that swing you'll jump people in you'll jump your blocker in the way your defender i'm just going to dig in as a defender I'm getting a little technical on volleyball here for a for the podcast for people who don't play volleyball but you know it's just uh i'm gonna basically i know that ball is coming with pure anger, I can feel it from their side that they're just going to come up and try to blast the ball. Sometimes they still get the point anyway, but a lot of times you just get like a demoralizing blocker dig on them because you overplay what you know is coming. And then it's like they really have to calm down because you just got them twice. You know, that previous play affected what they did there. So if I were playing against you in that circumstances and saw that, like that energy, I would have just like posted everybody on like everything <laughs> yeah. up yeah, for, the, yeah, yeah. for the hard swing. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I, so. I guess the question is if my body language gave it away or not, because theoretically you could just predetermine what you're going to do as long as you don't outwardly show it to, to the other team. And I guess that's, that's a part of mental toughness too, is never kind of showing any weakness or showing any diminishing sign that you're going to predetermine what you're doing next. Yeah, that's so why a lot of uh, volleyballs just become a lot quieter. It used to be like everybody's just so loud and expressing their emotions all over the place, and now it's just like 
all robots. Like everybody's <laughs> just so quiet, you know? So smack talker is like actually weird now because yeah. everybody's gotten a lot mentally tougher because they mm. are trying to hold their cards closer to their chest about what they're going to do. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, that's interesting. We should do a, uh, maybe a follow-up episode at some point on, I mean, that'd be more sports related, but just on how to, how to deal with smack talk in a more actionable way. Cause I don't know if we had any actionable thoughts off that. Um, but I thought it was just kind of, it was just kind of fun to, to compete again and just remember how to compete in a, in a live tournament, you know? Yeah. Good for you. I'm glad you had a good time. I think it's just reframe it <laughs> like everything, Yeah, you know? Oh, uh, well, there's it's just fun. nothing better. And we ended up going to the finals, so it, it was, it turned out great, but there's just, there's just something about it, man, when it's just you versus somebody else and only one person can win. And, oh man, I love it so much. Yeah, it is. Competition is when not super toxic is just an incredible feeling. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, just being able to compete at a high level at anything, anything at all, even in business, like when I'm doing uh, like high level business analysis, it just feels good. Mm -hmm. You know, I got on and there's something to it. You know, it's. Yeah, it's almost just like challenging your challenging yourself. Maybe that maybe it's just as simple as that, where you just challenge yourself to to complete a goal. You know, like the goal of a sport is winning. The goal in your analysis is like I'm going to land this account or I'm going to scale this scale this business. You know, there's just something rewarding about challenging yourself to do that and then coming through. Yeah, you get that huge hit of dopamine when you identify when you self identify that you are doing things that you previously couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can jump into our newsworthy legends because we have a couple of a uh, couple of guys that did some rewarding stuff. Yeah, I, you actually brought both of these to the table, so I'll let I you intro them both because I did. I'm uh, carrying the podcast, of, <laughs> of course, per <laughs> it's about usual. Time you did some research. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ahead. so the first guy we got is a custodian, <clears throat> and I believe he's from Maine. Um, so basically, he, he had a job in telecommunications. He got laid off, and then he was hired as a custodian at this middle school, and he started teaching chess after school to the kids. And ironically, his name is Bishop, which is which is kind of funny. Um, but they just did a NBC did a story on him, and basically he's just you know putting in all this extra time to help these kids. Um, and they had uh, their state champions multiple years. They've had a top fifteen finish at nationals. Um, it was just really cool to seeing a guy seeing a guy give back to the community like that, and they asked a student for the most impactful thing they've learned from Bishop throughout the teachings, and he had a pretty good quote, and it was, "When you find a good move, make a better one." Damn, that's a good quote. This kid was like, I like love 15, chess. whatever, like thirteen years old, and dropped a quote like that. I was like, "Damn, all right." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good quote. And I, I think there's something in incredibly fulfilling. Well, it just is in general about teaching kids like that and seeing because the the leaps that kids can make are so drastic that it's like, you know, a year ago, my son could not hit a pickleball over the net back to me. And now him and I are like having rallies back and forth. And I'm like, this is incredible. You know, it's just because him and I have played a bunch together. So just like seeing progression in kids is really fulfilling. That's a, that's pretty nice. The top 15 finishes at nationals, were those him or the kids? The kids. 
Oh, that's amazing. Even more amazing for him. Uh, so you play chess too? Yeah. I mean, I'm not great at chess, but I really love it. It's something that I yeah, wish I had more time to play. I know there's all those like moves and plays and like scripted actions you can take in chess. I don't know any of those, but I do love the like that complex thought pattern of like you have to think three moves ahead and think about what your opponent's going to do. And I love that stuff, man. Yeah, a lot of major risk reward too. Like like you're setting traps basically in hopes that the opponent doesn't understand what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's fun. I I definitely love like the patterns of it, the openings and all of that, but it's yeah, I just would love to learn it more, but I have not had the time to do so. Someday. So, second one, this is more of just a feel good story. Um this was from, I think, a few months ago. But again, I, I found this on NBC. And uh, this guy was in town for a funeral and uh, went to a local diner after. And as an act of kindness, he left a $10,000 tip for the server. Uh, $10,000. So he, he obviously requested that that be split evenly among the staff. Um, but, in, you know, it's like a pretty pretty amazing thing to do. And asked to be... Uh, made anonymous too. Wow. Further proof that tipping's out of control, huh? Wait. <laughs> hey, I was going to ask you that because I, I think you're going to have thoughts on this. Are you, are you pro or anti-tip? And I don't mean you specifically tipping. I mean the industry of tipping. I am very pro paying people a great wage. Yes. And ensuring they can make great money. Yeah. But... Um, very anti going to a takeout place and getting peer pressured to give a 20% tip. Yeah, I totally if you agree. Need, if you need that to pay your workers good enough. So there's I have a, there's like a local bagel problem. shop near me. Yeah. yeah, there's a local bagel shop near me that um, is like absolutely incredible. But they like doubled their prices. I mean, it's like a bagel sandwich is like literally $12. And I'm like, it's just, just absolutely absurd. For just a bagel and two eggs and a piece of bacon or whatever, even though it's delicious. <laughs> Wait, is it a fresh um, egg or is it one of those like pre-made patties? No, it's a fresh egg. It's Ooh. it's made fresh, but it's whatever. They they've increased their prices pretty significantly, and and introduced the tip system at like the same time, like the new software or whatever. But I I mean, as a business owner, they get sold on the fact that these tipping softwares say increase your average order size by you know, 10% because you're going to have a variety of tips and stuff. And so it's just like, they know that peer pressure exists. It's not enough to typically stop people from going there. And it's like, as a business owner, it's like free money per se to just increase, increase your order size. Right. Let the customers pay them, (laughs) pay their salaries. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I, I, I more or less just struggle with the, with takeout, right? Like when someone is serving me, and they're cleaning up after me mm-hmm. and waiting on me and refilling my water. Absolutely, I, w- I want to give them a great tip. But giving the same percentage tip to someone who's simply just grabbed the order and brought it to me as takeout is, like, tough for me. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say this. I went to a, uh, a sushi place near me in Manhattan Beach, and uh, it, it was incredible. Like, incredible food, but the wait staff was incredible and they kind of had a system where it was not, you didn't have one server. It was kind of everybody just 
taking your meal out as it came, uh, taking orders like refills, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was, it was like the best wait staff service I'd ever had in my life. And, um, I actually said to, to my girlfriend at the time, like, I'm going to tip this person like 35%. I was just so happy. Uh, and then I, I come to find out I get the bill and they actually didn't allow tips. And it was one of those restaurants where it's the, the, the servers are paid a wage and they don't get a tip on top of that. There wasn't even a place on the receipt to give a tip if I wanted to. And I just thought it was so interesting mm-hmm. that it was like the one time I had amazing service and wanted to give an astronomical tip, it was because a system was in place without tips. Yeah, I wonder if that's why you I think it got is. such amazing service, you know, an amazing is. culture, and they feel like they're getting a better wage. You know, I used to work in food whatever. service. I don't know if you did too, but I mean, dude, like the way you get tipped. Worked at Subway. Yeah, that's right. That's right. almost four years. Cracker Barrel yeah. for me. Um, but just <laughs> nice. like the way it, the, your mood throughout a shift is so dependent on what people choose to tip you. It just made perfect sense to me that this this sushi place I went to had amazing and happy workers that weren't relying on tips. So I'm I'm all for it if that's possible. Yeah, I mean I think it's great. Even if they bake it into their pricing, like just yeah, make totally. it simpler for the consumer and um, and pay them well, pay the yep. people well. All right, you want to get into ego? Ego basics, baby. This was uh, this is one of the first episodes we had talked about talking about too um you're a big ego guy mm-hmm. i have a massive ego <laughs> you, you, you have a massive ego and you also love to identify other people that have massive egos that's what people with egos do they just point fingers everywhere else and say everyone has the ego and put them. yeah yeah <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i it's um like yeah we'll jump right into ego basics want to just define it first which is a an ego is a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance. So um, in society, we sort of uh, associate it with just being cocky and arrogant, but that's not the real definition. It's just your overall sense of your own self-esteem and self-importance, how important or how, how good you feel about yourself and how important you feel you are um, in your own mind. So I think the first thing I want to start off with and say, there's the hardest part about ego is that you're always trying to walk a fine line, and that Wait, fine can I, line. Can I interrupt is, you really quick? Sure. Just, just to clarify this, um, if you think about like I think it's Freudian psychology, there's like the id, the ego, the superego. You're not talking about that, mm-hmm. right? You're talking about ego in terms of like the the ego that makes you make decisions or however you're going to define it, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, just going back to like self-esteem and self-importance, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah, how yeah. I, that's how I mean it anyway. Not like the, I don't Is that like a philosophical definition or something? No, different? uh, psychology, like the way your brain works. Oh, I didn't even know there was a different, this guy not doing his it. research. I, uh, I believe well, it was, sorry, I'm cutting you. Off. I believe it was Freud. Let me just double check that. It's a psychoanalytic theory. The id, ego, and superego are three distinct interacting agents in the psychic apparatus defined in Sigmund Freud's structural model of the psyche. But we're, we're no, talking we're about a more like... past that completely. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. That's fine. We're talking about like a more basic understanding of it anyway. Yeah, yeah. What the average person thinks of when they yeah, think yeah. of ego. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so 
Yeah. Um, going back to the point I was, I was going to make there was that we're, you're basically walking a tightrope. I was once on a, um, uh, years ago, I had a agency that wanted to acquire my company and the, the two leaders of the agency said, you know, I said like, Hey, you know, I'm willing to work with you guys kind of no ego type of thing. And they're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Some ego is actually really good, especially in a business leadership role. You got to have some ego. We need you to act decisively. We need you to be confident in your decisions. And I was like, Oh, great point. I am absolutely willing to act decisively and be confident in my business acumen. Um, but not to the, I try not to get to the point of being toxic or not listening to other people or not willing to delegate and all of those things. But, um, that's, that's, it's a tightrope that we're all walking. If you don't have enough ego and enough feeling of self-esteem and self-importance, you can, um, you really need to work on your self-esteem and you really, you, you are not acting decisively. You're not confident enough and it actually can wreck your progress. Um, if you're consistently beating yourself down and, but if you're too egotistical, then you come off as cocky and arrogant, which impedes your progress too. So the hardest part about ego is walking that fine line as coming off as confident and, um, while still coming off as like willing to learn and be humble and delegate and things like that. Yeah. I think like humble, the humble piece of it is really important, right? Because if we think of it in a sports setting, you should, you should almost be egotistical in competition when you have this confidence that you can beat anybody, right? And you think you're the best player on the court and whatever it is, right? And then in training or in self-evaluation, you have to have this humble piece and kill your ego in order to be able to realistically self-evaluate, find the places you need to improve, and then act on that. Yeah, and one of the biggest... When, when ego really starts to impede you is when you can't self-evaluate and you start to mm-hmm. have blinders on, especially when give, people are giving you feedback and you just think you're too good for it or whatever, right? So I think the one of the big points here within Ego Basics is when people are coming off as cocky or arrogant, sometimes they legitimately are. They think they're God's gift to whatever they're doing, <laughs> but sometimes they're also incredibly insecure and they're trying to balance out essentially and they feel basically they're doing that because they're not feeling validated or approved by getting approval of others yeah that was that was the piece that stuck out to me as we were researching for the episode um i kind of came to a conclusion that the root of ego is a lot of comparison and comparison inherently breeds insecurity you know, if you're, if you're comparing yourself to others, um, that can bring some insecurity. Am I as good as this person? Am I, am I better than this person? Um, and again, that, that fuels a lot of toxic traits. So that was kind of where I saw this going um, in terms of, you know, comparison. And then that's where that insecurity comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Comparison is huge, right? And, but I, I'm not sure, does comparison have a link to insecurity? Is it because you're comparing yourself to not? Because I feel like insecurity is largely like you're not feeling either validated or that feeling of self-importance. And so you're feeling insecure. Maybe why? Because you're comparing yourself to someone that is so unrealistically better or whatever. That's a good, there is a point there. That could lead you to, to 
feeling insecure when you're comparing up too much to like, for example, if I compare myself consistently to the best pickleball player out there, Ben Johns, I'm going to consistently feel like I stink, right? Like if that's my comparison right now. Is Ben Johns the goat? Totally. <laughs> okay. Fact, I don't know anything I mean, about pickleball. So, <laughs> it's just, he's just so impressive. He's still young, but he's so impressive because he was the best at pickleball before it got big and then it got big and now it's getting flooded with real athletes. Like no offense to the people that were there before, but now you're getting like, you know, big athletic coordinated basketball players, tennis players. Uh, and these people are, um, you know, incredibly athletic and he's still the best. <laughs> and like still number one, still winning every tournament and he's doing it singles and doubles and mixed doubles. He's just consistently triple crowning, which is he's winning all three of those at like every event still. And it's just crazy that like, he's not like an impressive athlete. No offense to him at all. I don't, I don't know. It's all, he's not very tall. Doesn't seem very athletic. His, he just is so accurate and so has knowledge and understanding of the game and his ability to read is incredible. So, yeah, it's just anybody who has long-lasting um, success like that, domination actually in a sport through the rise of that sport, it's been the fastest-growing sport for years now in the United States, is, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, there's there's like intangible pieces, it sounds like, that are contributing to that. You know, when you're describing that, it sounds like Tom Brady, where not the most physically imposing, not the best arm strength, but just has intangibles that get the job done. Yeah, he's super mentally tough. And it's even funny watching a lot of his games. It's just like he wins like every game by two points. And it's just like gets, <laughs> yeah, that, po gets that point. <laughs> he just gets to that point. And then like it's like 9-9. Nine, nine. And then it's just like, oh, man, you're done. Whoever you're playing against, he's mm -hmm. just you're done. Because yep. it's like these people can hang with them. And they get to this point, And then there must be something mentally where they're just thinking like, I might actually beat Ben Johns. And that's just like the moment that he hasn't changed and just beats yeah. him. Yeah, well, well, I would love to do another episode on that too. Like, because it sounds like what I imagine is happening in those situations are these people get to 9 9 with him and they're like, oh my God, I got to win this game. I got to change something. I got to do something different. And that is like, oh my God, I see that all the time. And that's just what you don't want to do in those situations. You just want to play exactly the same. And then other people will just kind of like fold, they'll just change their game. And if you just don't change and do everything the same, these games almost just win themselves. Yeah. If you're just, you know how to handle those moments mentally, you just find that people just sort of mess up around you. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've won a lot, of, a lot of volleyball games that I didn't deserve to win. I didn't feel like I didn't play all that great, but it came down to the last couple of points and the other team just sort of like crapped out. And I'm like, mm -hmm. all right. I guess I'll take it. <laughs> you know, like, I've had a, a lot of those weird wins where I'm like, okay, That's I funny. didn't feel like I deserved that. Yeah. Um, two other points with ego before we get into like how to identify your ego. First point is ego can change actually very fast. And it's like daily, weekly, monthly, yearly changes consistently can happen to, to ego. And one of the things we'll get into is like how hard it is to handle success as well as failure. failure. But... Ego can change super fast. 
Um, and there's like some, you can have a great week, feel really good. And it can go to your head real quick. And, and you can also get knocked down real quick. So, uh, the big thing is that like it changes super fast and ego also causes a really strong reaction. One thing I've noticed, um, it's like if you're coming off as egotistical or cocky, people our our human instinct is to knock that person down. Mm. Right? It's like when people get too big and too cocky, we just want to knock them down. It's like why, why everybody hates Nickelback. It's like <laughs> they pull up, yeah. they get so big, and then it just becomes cool to hate them. And it's like, I don't even know what they did or why everybody hates them. Like, you just, they just got so big that it became uncool. And so I think it's just like we always have this habitual nature to just knock people down that get too big. Why do you think that is? Probably comes back to our own insecurities rather than just celebrating the success. We're looking for some sort of fault in that person or jealousy, probably. Um, that is natural among average people watching someone else accomplish stuff that that person doesn't feel is they could ever attain. That's probably insecurity and jealousy. It's my guess anyway. I got no, no guess, no guess. <laughs> All right. So jumping into the next part of the pod here, how do we identify when we have a po- problematic ego? Like, how do we know this is, this I think is like the heart of the podcast. Cause it's so difficult when you have an, an conflicting ego to just identify that you're the problem, mm-hmm. you know? Because an ego inherently builds yourself up such that you're I'm not, not going to listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how do you identify when you have it, right? It's, um, it's very hard to listen to feedback because you have those typical blinders on. Um, so we've, we've identified a couple different ways in here on how to do that. And I think one of the... One, there's a lot of ways to do it, but and I'll list a bunch of them off. But boasting... Like if, if you find yourself like consistently talking about uh, like you have this need for other people to give you credit for the accomplishments you had. And when you talk to them, you're consistently talking about yourself, right? Like are you, when you're in conversation, are you consistently talking about yourself, right? That can be a sign that you, uh, your ego is driving things. And if you're consistently seeing the flaws in others and judging others, you're finding like, oh, this person's this, this person's that, and you have those sort of toxic thoughts about other people, another sign that your ego is the size of Texas. A lot of it seems to come back to insecurity too. And when you just talk about boasting, seeing flaws in others, it's like you're trying to build yourself up either by outwardly boasting or by inwardly seeing flaws in others, right? Uh, it, it does seem like the ego is really attached to that insecurity and or trying to just provide security to yourself through the ego. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and not being um, acutely aware of other people's reactions, just I think that like in order to identify these things, you have to try and be a- aware because I think people give you a lot of signs when you're coming off this way. Mm-hmm. Like, are they leaving the conversation, walking away? Hard. It's like hard to talk. It's a bad vibe. 
those people aren't asking to hang out. You know, I was, I, I was experiencing this on a business call recently. I was getting pitched by an agency that does Amazon ads and the guy was just like slathering his ego all over the call. He was interrupting his partner and it was like almost like hilarious, but I was like trying to change the subject. I'm like, Hey, what do you guys like to do outside of the work outside of work? I'm trying to get like to get to know these people personally. And they're just like, Oh yeah. Like I have, you know, I, I have my kids and family, but like, I just love Amazon ads. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, come on, man. Like, you know, I just can't even like talk about anything else other than how great you are. And, 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 and then I'm, I'm saying within the call, like, all right, guys, I have a hard stop. I, you know, like, all right, it's good to talk to you guys. Like, well, and it's like, I'm giving so many cues all over the place of where I want to steer the conversation and they just keep steering it back and that I'm not enjoying the conversation, bad body language. And, they're just not picking up on any of those cues, right? And um, and it's just, it's a bummer because they probably really knew their stuff and they were probably incredible at Amazon ads, like actually incredible. But it's just like, I just didn't want to work with them. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to root for them. I'm like, I don't want these guys to be good at Amazon ads. I don't want them to win my business with an ego like that. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm like f trying to find a way, find their flaws now because it was just so annoying. Yeah, you know what's funny too yeah. is as you go through this, it's almost like your ego is kind of cropping up now, right? And even just the way you yeah. just said that last sentence, like you're you're looking for their flaws, right? That's that's the sign that your ego is now being attacked. Yeah, it's just, it's just a feeling of when someone is like outwardly displaying their ego. I don't know if there, there's got to be some sort of chemical reaction to like what's happening with your ego now comes out to sort of defend against their ego. There is some recent scientific evidence that I don't know, which is like there's actual energy around people of like the energy that they're giving off and it actually like will affect people mm -hmm. within your proximity or whatever. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. No, I do believe in that. But I actually have kind of a side story based on what you were just saying. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think you were doing the right thing on this call by trying to get to know them. And it's really easy to put up walls and have a barrier and have your own ego when you don't know what someone else is capable of and you don't have this kind of like respect for them to learn from them and be willing to learn from them, right? <clears throat> and uh, this was, you know, looking back on it, this was kind of the most clear to me. Actually, when our rivalry was at its hottest, we played a, a tournament in Clearwater, Florida. And um, my ego, I was, I was what, 20, 23 at the time. And, you know, my ego was just about as big as it, big as it can be. Um, and I, I remember there was times during this tournament when I could have trusted you more. And I just was like, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, blah, 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 blah. And anyway, like, fast forward to the end of the tournament. We, we do terrible. And this was when it was like, well, I guess that, that was a dud. But I remember being in the Uber to leave and go back to the airport. And uh, we were just chatting in the Uber and... Um, you were telling me about like tax code and you were going through like, like super high level economics and tax code and why things exist. And obviously you're like a, a very bright guy, but that was kind of me being like, Oh my God, like, is this dude just like another level of smart that I haven't been exposed to before? And, uh, you know, by like kind of learning more about you and, and learning this new respect that I had for you through that conversation, you know, that almost broke down my ego and it, it allowed me to see, wow, there's actually like a lot I can learn from this guy. And maybe I shouldn't have just shut down every idea that he had during this tournament. And then I, I don't think I talked to you for like 
four years after that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. After that tournament. Yeah, that was a that was a tough that but, was the heat of our rivalry. We did try to play together. It's so funny that yeah we gave it yeah. that one go. It was a catastrophic failure. Catastrophic. And then we didn't talk for like four years after that. Yeah, and uh, and the funny thing, yeah. you somehow still hired me after that too. And this was four years later, so you know there'd been time for the dust to settle. But then you know like the continuation of that story is you hire me for one of your companies, and then I witness you like in a day to day role as a CEO. And it's like another level of that, like, oh my God, like this dude is just insane, you know? And it, it gave me so much respect for you. And then by having that respect to you, it almost broke down the volleyball side of it too, where it's like, I can listen to this guy, give me feedback. And, it, you know, I, I think just learning more about the impressive things that you've done allowed my ego to kind of move out of the way. Well, you're a case study for how to land a job anywhere, which was... <laughs> If you just came to me and said, pay me and like, I'd like to apply for a position, I would have never given you that job in a thousand years. What you did that nobody else was doing was you came to me and said, I'm willing to do anything to figure this out and to like learn a new skill and whatever. And I will work for free for a month and just do whatever it takes to earn like your trust back and your <laughs> yeah. loyalty. Right. So I would say that like, I appreciate having some of the credit for making that decision, but really like that was a pure you grabbing an opportunity by the horns and being like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to earn Rogers, like respect and loyalty. And you did, right? Like, so I would say that it's, I, I think I had applied all, for all a I did was, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. All I did was get free labor. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then just make the decision to hire you because you're doing a great job. You know? yeah. But, uh, yeah, I so think I, I, I applied for... the one who did that. I applied for a different position and had no experience and didn't get the job. And I, I think I was just like, well, it was COVID at this time. I had nothing to do. And I was like, well, shoot, just let me work for free and I'll see if I can figure this out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, that was a... Um, I've, I've told a lot of people that story simply because it's like, you just got your foot in the door. You, you got your foot in the door and earned yourself an opportunity at a company that would treat you right and grow you where you can make decent money. And I think that's just like the ultimate, most people are not willing to take that risk to put up that time or whatever. And you just, you just figured it out. So yeah, appreciate the credit, but I feel like the credit is in your court on that one. I'll take it. But, you know, in like <clears throat> in a realer sense, it, it more so is like that was an ego humbling experience too, just to expose myself to something really hard and shoot, you can't have an ego when you come into something with no experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you did. You definitely did. Uh, we had a lot of conversations in that first, uh, whatever, the first uh, six months of your employment of trying to help you figure out your way, but you just kept grinding, dude. All right. So we've talked about, um, kind of the ego basics and how to identify when your ego is the size of Texas. But now let's jump into actually handling your ego. How can we handle your ego? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I identified earlier, which was the root of the ego being comparison. I think handling your ego, you need to know who you're comparing yourself to. Um, you know, we, we just talked about like when I first joined Roger's company and I have no experience, 
I'm comparing myself to people who are easily better than me, right? And it's so easy to learn and not have an ego and to be willing to learn anything from anybody, right? Now, as, as you grow in a company and grow at a skill, it is also easy to feel really confident in yourself and then think that my way is always right. I know how to do this. I don't have to learn from anybody. But it always depends who you're comparing yourself to. You know, I've been working for a digital position for over three years now. I feel like I'm pretty good at my job. But if I compare myself to you, who's been in the space for 15 years, like, God, I don't know. I don't know anything, you know? And it's really easy to be like, I, I can just learn anything when I'm comparing myself to someone who's much better than me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because, yeah, you compare to someone that's much better than you and it sort of humbles you. Yeah. You totally. compare yourself to someone who's worse than you and it builds it up. So you, you sort of like need a mix. You mm-hmm. need that mix to continue to walk that tightrope that we've been talking about of not becoming too one-sided or the other. Because I, I think that the number one killer of businesses is ego. That I see this time and time again, some e-commerce startup, some business startup becomes successful. They get to a certain point. The owner then thinks they know everything, and then the yeah. company implodes. Like I, I, can, I can tell this story a million different ways to Sunday, which is like <laughs> so many different businesses that I've seen Give us one. Um, over the years do that same thing. Well, I actually just posted on TikTok about a perfect example. So yeah, that was a good one. If you look at the, look at the uh, Chief Marketing Dad TikTok, nice plug there, natural plug. <laughs> uh, Chief Marketing Dad TikTok, my most recent video, um, I talked about a $180 million company becoming a $600 million company and then just like, internal politics and ego and all of that took over and then they're just firing everyone and boom it's just like even companies at scale consistently ego and internal politics can just crush organizations Mm. i feel like you want to say something no how do you i I think it's a great point but how do you fight that when you're let's think about it from a scaling a company perspective right so you, you scale from i guess we can look at however you want to take this question but you scale from a a a solo venture company to five employees to 10 employees you know obviously you can you can get an ego involved in that once you start seeing success but there's always going to be new plateaus so how do you kind of like combat that kill that ego and then be willing to continue learning yeah there's significant inflection points in business at from first employee to 5 12 20 and 30 at least from my journey there's like big inflection points at each one of those points um, because the CEO or owner that you had to be at each one of those is very different from the one you have to become. So you now have to become something different at every stage. In the very beginning, I'm in here doing everything, right? And then by 30 employees, you now like you need your, you need to trust your leadership team. You got to delegate everything because you just got to set the vision. And if you're involved in the day-to-day, super overwhelming. You just can't do it. There's not enough time in the day for you to manage yourself, 30 different employees and a hundred accounts and all that. But, um, I think that handling success can be harder than handling failure sometimes simply because like I saw as I was kind of coming up through my entrepreneurial journey, like at different points, it's like, Oh, I got this. Like I can do it, whatever. And then what happens is I get comfortable when I'm having success and making better money. And then I'm not innovating as much in the company. I'm not working as the long hours like I used to when I was grinding in the early stages. And I just needed like, I literally could have lost my house. 
you know, like you have like that crazy fire of like survival that needs to exist. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm making great money. Everything's good. It's really hard not to just get comfortable, confident in yourself, stop challenging your own views. It's just like, it's just natural, right? So you just have to identify when you feel like the company is getting stagnant. And that just comes with experience of getting, of having yourself go up and then crashing a little bit and being like, oh, wow, I can't do that. <laughs> I got to get, I got to get this fire started again. Then you go up, get overconfident and crash down. And that's why these businesses are typically on that like lightning bolt sort of curve where they go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, you know? Yeah. Do, do you think that comes when you maybe hit one of those crash periods, you have to change your standards and then change your comparison? Yeah, I, I think it's just that you have to consistently challenge that what worked yesterday probably won't work tomorrow. And like, so, so you have to consistently say at every stage, is this still the right uh, reporting structure? Is this still the right staff? Is this still the right technology? And are we using the right platforms? Is this still the right process? Is this still the right products? Like, are, is this still the right way to present ourselves? You're just consistently challenging yourself. And then you have your overarching vision that you don't want to lose about why you started the company in the first place that that carries with you. But, you know, all those little decisions about where to invest marketing dollars and how to set up your operations and whatever processes, they just continuously change. You have to keep challenging yourself. So, yeah, I guess maybe the people you are aspiring to be or that you're following on social media change as you um, hit different tiers because the people you were listening to at a five-employee company, maybe you related to then, and then you don't relate to them anymore when you have 20 employees, mm -hmm. you know? And so you have to follow different people um, to help get you, get you the knowledge needed to tackle that step of the ladder. Yeah, and, and that is a two-sided coin too, right? Because if, if you're at the five-employee stage and you're comparing yourself to a 200-employee company, like that can shatter you go in the wrong way too. Because now it's like you're comparing yourself to these processes and these standards that are just unattainable with where you're at. And that can be crazy. Like you can, It can be overwhelming to think, man, I'll, I'll never get to this point, right? Uh, it's the same thing in sports, right? If you're, if you're trying to be an NBA first-team all-NBA guy, in your first year in the league, you're comparing yourself to, you know, whatever, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Shea Gilders, Alexander. If you don't have that yet, you don't have that skill set, it's, it's overwhelming to think, oh my God, I have to do, I have to do so many changes to my game and my diet and my, my workout habits to be this. So, so maybe there are kind of tiers that you compare yourself to for steady growth all the way up. Yeah, like a good example right now is I'm trying to learn pickleball at a high level at like a pro level. And I literally have been every morning doing about four or 500 balls, doing my backhand only for about three weeks straight. Mm -hmm. Just one shot over and over and over and over and over until I feel it right. And I'm just, I'm recording myself and then putting my re recording against someone else who is just better at backhands than me, like the top pro players. And then I'm just looking at it. Does it look the same or not? Does it look the same or not? Does it look the same or not? And it's like I had to take one step back and literally spray balls all over the gym mm -hmm. until I can sort of learn how to like retrain myself to have a better stroke. But it just takes an identification that like my backhand stinks. 
And so I gotta get it better. Yeah, totally. And then once you once you solve that backhand, and then you, you start working on the next piece of your game to build up to that to that level you want to get to, you definitely don't want to lower your standard and then start comparing yourself to somebody who is not quite the level you want to be at. And uh, you know that can just build a lot of bad habits back in that you had already solved. Yeah, and I know a lot of volleyball players even who um, have incredible potential and their minds just wouldn't let them continue beyond the point, the plateau that they hit because then they just go and play tournaments that they know they're going to do well in and that's all they play, right? And they look good to that community. They get a lot of positive validation and that's honestly, it's like, it's also okay. Like you, everyone doesn't need to try and be Tom Brady. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I just think like we're talking about high performers in this podcast, but, um, you know, it's just that person can't expect to become a super high performer if they're not willing to be really uncomfortable throughout that growth process. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And that's kind of it too. Like it's a real easy way to, if you want to manually, like you identify you have an ego and you want to find out a way to shatter it and then get humble again. Boy, if you expose yourself to something that's way above your level, that is a humbling experience for sure. Yeah. I um, A little, a little quick story about uh, work. I have a contractor that I work with the contractor builds websites. That's just a website development agency. I have a client who was getting a little frustrated with them because they were saying, what have you guys been working on? Like what, what, what has been completed out of the list of the things that we sent you and what has not been completed? And so I messaged this person and was like, hey, you're the agency owner. You guys got to think about maybe some process to put in place where you can just track all the re client requests that come in, put them in a sheet, it could be something simple, like a Google sheet or whatever. And then just say like working on it, completed, whatever. So the client can just go in there and just see what has been done. Like very simple website management process. And um, he came up with just like a bunch of reasons why like it's just difficult that we're all like really mm -hmm. tough, bad reasons. And I was like, look, just put throw it in a Google sheet. You could build this process in a day. And he like scoffed at me <laughs> and i was just like i was like, like i'll show this right, guy <laughs> yeah, yeah this is like i'm like all right man like you know i'm trying to I, I am legitimately trying to help broker this relationship in fact i was the one who introed you to this client like you're getting the money from my introduction and i and on top of that i'm trying to help you but look if you think you know better like by all means it's just like that's ego is just like you have the blinders on you're not willing to accept the fact that maybe there's another way to do this quicker and easier. Um, but, you know, I think it's just uh, just a good example of like even in business. I, and he's just struggled to scale his business. He wants more growth and he can't grow. And I'm like, that's why, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but I, I had the exact same problems when I was at five employees, too. Yeah. You know, It's like I thought I knew better. And it's just that's where just life experience is invaluable and it's just now knowing that i feel like i look around and say there are so many things to learn out there we're all stupid like <laughs> we're all so stupid i don't know how to like uh like build a car i don't know how to like remodel a kitchen i don't know how to do like, a podcast play all, 
<laughs> I don't know how to do 98% of sports, even though I'm like an athletic guy coordinated, but like I can't play 98% of sports. I'm awful at basketball, like hilariously awful. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's just like once you identify, like there's so much knowledge out there and even like people that are more experienced in certain things are still dumb of, at, at 98% of knowledge out there. I don't know rocket science and, you know, it's just, you know what I mean? Like, so it's just, once you identify that, it's like, it's just, how could you be overconfident in yourself? Yeah. So like, I think that's a, that's a good segue to the pro strap for today. Um, Cause we've identified mm-hmm. a million ways to look at ego, to identify your ego, kind of how to handle it. But the pro strap kind of, it kind of involves once you do identify this thing, how do you, how do you re-humble yourself? And so, you know, mm-hmm. the, the two ways that we kind of identified to do so were, were one, think about the standard of who or what you're comparing yourself to. Like if you're, if you're looking at your relationship, are you comparing yourself to uh, OJ Simpson, for example? Probably not a good comparison. You're probably doing great. What? I'm, I'm a great husband. What makes I'm you think of that? Comparing myself to OJ or, or Oprah. And I, I think Oprah's in a good relationship. I don't exactly know Oprah's background too well, but she's a nice enough person. Um, you know, in a sports example, are you comparing yourself to someone at your level, below your level, or someone way better than you? That's good for the ego. Uh, at work, are you, again, like you said, comparing yourself to a five-person company or a 60-person company? So, so that's going to be the way that you can kind of give your ego a reality check and then figure out some ways that you can grow. Yeah, you, you don't want to look down on the people that are worse than you at anything, but you, you also don't want to shatter your self-confidence by thinking that you should be the top of the top so it's like you want to continuously try to compare maybe more evenly but be you know for sports i'm always just trying to compare against myself where it's like hey i'm am i progressing from the me that existed five days ago you know and then i have people that i'm aspiring to become it's like i'm aspiring to have this person's back end so i'm going to continue to work on it until I have it. So it's not that I am ashamed of not being as good at that person as that person, but it's still a me versus me every day, day in and day out competition. Yeah, totally. And then the second piece of that too is self-evaluation, which you just touched on, right? And uh, if, if I'm self-evaluating my serve-receive in volleyball and I compare myself to Roger Parent, I'm a 10 out of 10. I got nothing to improve on. <laughs> I'm great, right? <laughs> but if oh I if gosh. I'm self evaluating and compa- comparing myself to you know Theo Brunner or or another Olympian out there, like I'm I'm like a six out of ten, you know. So uh, I think those are the two things: like who are you comparing yourself to, and then as you go through that with self evaluation, like that's kind of a wake up call for the ego. If you could just hit a ball harder, you would, that statement would be true. <laughs> <laughs> You're so soft. <laughs> hey, you know what? Soft is what wins, baby. You're, you're so good at everything that has Just to do with win. volleyball, except bombing really hard swings, yeah. which is the only thing that I'm good at. Hey, hey it'll get you everything else. And, and ironically. <laughs> On this podcast, I just literally said I banged a ball angle as hard as I could and predetermined it. And you're like, oh, dude, that's such a bad idea. Like, you can't be coming in predetermined, you know? And then on the same pod, all you got to do is just hit angle. That's it. That's a fair point. That is a a fair point. (laughs) It's absolutely a hypocrite on this podcast. I know. And on record, Uh, too. 
Yeah. Eh, whatever. You live and learn. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, what standard are you comparing yourself to? And really just making sure you're self-reflecting about your own self-improvement every day and that you're not um, feeling a sense of entitlement toward your success. Like you are entitled to accomplish X. You're entitled to winning this tournament. You're entitled to anything, right? Like you're not above others. And it's just um, consistently checking that ego is a very healthy thing. All right. What do you think? Little, little quote? Play us out with a wonderful quote. Yeah. All right. I got one today from Eckhart Tolle. <clears throat> I like this one. The moment you become aware of the ego in you, it is, strictly speaking, no longer the ego, but just an old conditioned mind pattern. Ego implies unawareness. Awareness and ego cannot coexist. Eckhart Tolle. That's the guy. I love that. I mean, pretty much a large portion of what we were talking about is how to identify it mm -hmm. and becoming aware of the of your ego. Right. And then once you kind of are aware of it, your ego magically shrinks. I mean, ignorance is bliss, though. You just be better than everyone and <laughs> have a huge ego and just YOLO it through life with no friends. That's alternative too. That's a live view into Roger Parent's managing method of <laughs> digital position. Just, I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. Just do what I say. All right. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, great to talk to you, my friend, as always. Always good to talk. Uh, thanks for, for listening, watching everybody. Hopefully you learned one thing. Hopefully one person can take something positive away from this and, and check your ego. Uh, we will see you next on episode five, which is once this posts, we are in the top 10% of podcasters. So congrats, Roger. We did it. Top 10%, baby. Uh, let's keep on Yo! growing. Let's get it.